All right. <clears throat> well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yeah, it's good to be with you today. My name is Josh. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, all right. Well, uh, a bit, you know, we've had some really lengthy passages the last few Sundays. And so you were probably just getting like comfortable standing up and you're like, man, we got to sit down again. Who, who knew? Uh, I'm excited. You know, when we, when we first decided we were going to preach through Acts, this is one of the passages I was most excited about preaching. Uh, and it's because uh, there's a lot of complexity here. And I kind of get excited about complexity. I know some of you are like, ah, stay away from con- complexity. Uh, I like things clear. I, I kind of like to dive into it and just because this requires you to, to think and, and, and to kind of to sit in it a little bit. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, as we kind of think about this conflict between Paul and Barnabas that becomes an irreconcilable difference so that they end up going separate ways. Uh, and, and this isn't the final word of their lives. We'll, we'll talk about that as we go through it. But, but this, was, this was significant. Uh, and, it, and it just points to the reality that we're all aware of, which is that we have conflict with other people, and we have it a lot, okay? We have a lot of conflict with all kinds of people. Uh, as I was thinking about this issue, you know, anytime you give an example or an illustration, you run the risk of dating yourself. And I'm going to do that this morning. Because uh, I know most of us, especially I mean, younger people in the room, like, you probably don't even know what a newspaper is, or at least a print edition of a newspaper. Uh, but they used to have those things. And, and you know, in the print edition of the paper, there was one section that kids were really drawn to. Well, if you were like me, you were also drawn to the sports section. But there was one section that all kids are drawn to, right? The comics. You guys know what I'm talking about? The comics section. Uh, and probably my, well, my favorite comic of all time is The Far Side. But besides The Far Side, probably my second favorite is Calvin and Hobbes, okay? Uh, and, and there's one of my favorites uh, that I thought about when I just thought about conflict. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Calvin and Hobbes, Calvin is a little six-year-old boy. Hobbes is his stuffed animal tiger, who's a stuffed animal to everybody else, but he's alive to Calvin, right? And so they're always having these conversations back and forth. Uh, and they're, they're playing a game. They're playing war, okay? Very typical six-year-old boy thing to do. And, and, and Hobbes, the tiger, looks at Calvin and he says, how come we always play war and not peace? Okay? And Calvin looks back at him and he says, huh, too few role models. Too few role models. Some of you will pick that up on the way home. Um, but, but the point is this, right? We got a lot of people who, who demonstrate what it's like to be in conflict. We know what it's like to be in conflict. And, and even though probably all of us, like we don't like conflict, we, we, we would say we try to, some of us really are like avoiders. We don't, we don't like it. And yet there's just something in us that gravitates towards conflict. It's like we can't live without it. Uh, and I think at the essence of it, the reality is that, that all of us, we just kind of think we're right and that anyone who disagrees with us is wrong, okay? We just think we're right. People who disagree are wrong. And, and here's the deal. If only one person thought that way, there would never be any conflict. We'd all get along and we'd be just fine, which, by the way, is the way reality is supposed to work, right? God. If, if, if everyone just believed that God was indeed right, we wouldn't have any conflict. That's called heaven. Um, but we're not there yet. In this life, uh, we all think we're right, whether or not we actually are. Uh, and so then, when everyone thinks they're right, and they also think everyone else is wrong, well, guess what? We have conflict, and we have a lot of conflict. Um, last week, Acts 15, 
We had the Jerusalem Council, uh, which was also about conflict, right? This, this disagreement about how the Gentiles uh, are supposed to relate to the Mosaic Law, and they were able to work it out, okay? We were able to come to a solution. Uh, it's this incredible victory for the gospel. They, they take it, they report the news to the Gentiles, the Gentiles celebrate, and, and it's, you know, it's like, yes, we're ready to move forward. We have this huge mountaintop victory experience and, and then, verse 36, we find out both Paul and Barnabas, they want to go back out. They want to revisit the churches. They're like, yes, let's do it. And then, boom, disagreement, conflict, and everything just kind of stops. And, and we're just, we're just, it's like watching a car crash, right? We're just like slow motion. We're just like, whoa, like what just happened? And in just a couple of verses, Paul and Barnabas separate, and this, that's the end. They never go out together again. Uh, so this morning, we're going to look at this conflict, uh, and, and we're going to see, I, I think, a lot of different principles uh, for understanding how we ought to navigate conflict in our lives, some things uh, that Scripture teaches us that are, that are kind of proactive, positive things we ought to do, some things that we see that we should not do. Uh, but as we, as we move through it this morning, uh, I, there's kind of three main ideas that I want us to see. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at what leads to conflict. Second of all, we're going to look at how to respond to conflict. And then finally, we're going we're gonna to think for a few minutes about why God uses conflict, okay? How he uses it, why he uses it, what are his purposes in it. So uh, let's begin by, by thinking about what leads to conflict. Uh, and so I, I want to set it up uh, by kind of setting up the scene here and making sure we understand the perspectives of Paul and Barnabas and what it is that leads to their conflict. Uh, So, verse 36, Paul says to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So you'll remember that uh, Paul and Barnabas have already gone out once. We call that the first missionary journey. They go out to several places. They spread the gospel. New churches have been started. But then they face some persecution, okay? And so they, they kind of have to leave. They run back to Jerusalem. They have the Jerusalem Council. Uh, some time has passed, and now they were, Paul's like, hey, we need to go back out. And Barnabas is like, yes, totally agree. Let's do it. Let's, and they even have the same plan. They want to go back and visit the churches they went to at the first time. Uh, so it seems like we're all on the same page. Verse 37 Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So back in the first journey, Luke includes what seems at first almost like a throwaway verse. He mentions that this guy, Mark, also called John, sometimes we just say John Mark, was with them and that he left. And, and that's, it's one verse, he, he left. And it doesn't say why, it doesn't say what was going on, it doesn't say if he got sick, it doesn't say if he was only supposed to go on the first part of the journey, it doesn't say anything, it just says he left. Uh, but now we get some clarity about what happened. Uh, again, we don't know why Mark left, but it's clear that Paul didn't like it. He didn't like it. That Paul's perspective, which I think is what Luke is giving us, uh, here in verse 38, where the ESV translates this withdrew, uh, probably a more finer um, translation would be deserted, okay? Some of your translations might say that. Uh, that's, more, that's more the idea, that, that Mark deserted them. He left them, okay? And that it's not like Paul said, hey, Mark, 
do you think you want to keep going with us? No, it's like Mark woke up one day and was like, hey, guys, this is actually harder than I thought it was going to be. I'm, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. I, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. And so Paul is looking at that. He's like, Man, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Uh, if you're wondering, is this Mark? Is that the gospel of Mark? Uh, almost certainly. Almost certainly that this is the same guy, uh, which all, all that kind of plays into it. So uh, we're going to look at kind of Paul's perspective and then Barnabas's perspective here. So Paul's perspective, I think, is pretty straightforward. The mission takes priority. The mission takes priority. We've been talking a lot about mission. That's kind of been our, our overarching theme as we've gone through Acts. Paul, you know, like if anyone ever lived their life on mission all the time, it was Paul. He's always thinking and focusing about God's mission, God's call on his life. Like that's, that's what he's doing. And he says, hey, look, the mission takes priority. And when we go out, the, we know, right, those, those Jews are going to come back. There's going to be false teachers. There's going to be all kinds of things. Hardship. We might go to prison again. We might get arrested again. We might even lose our lives. We can't have deserters with us. Like, if we're going to go into this thing, I got to go with guys I know are going to be there through thick and thin. Uh, so consider some things that Paul wrote. In Philippians 2, verses 19 to 24, Paul writes this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust that in the Lord I shortly myself will come also. In other words, Paul, is talk, as he's talking about Timothy, he says, I hope I can send you Timothy. I don't have anybody else like him. There's no one else that I trust. There's no one else who is in it with me, who I know I can count on him. If everyone else bails, I know I can count on Timothy. By the way, Timothy's gonna join us here in Acts chapter 16. We're about to see him jump in with Paul. Or consider Jesus's own words in Luke 9, verse 62. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. By the way, those are really scary words for all of us, right? Like, what, what does it mean to look back? Can I take like a half glance? Can I peek over my shoulder? Can I see if someone's in the next lane? Like, what, what does that mean, never look back? I'm not fit for it. I would certainly think deserting the first missionary cause would count, right? And so, I, no doubt, Paul's thinking about we got to have people we can depend on. We, we know what Jesus says, that man, this is not for the faint of heart. you got to count the cost. Mark is not trustworthy. Mark had deserted Paul and Barnabas once, and Paul did not want to take the risk that he would do it again. The mission of spreading the gospel was too important. Now, we can hear all that, and we can think, man, I'm with Paul. I'm team Paul, right? Like, Paul's totally right. He's got it down. Uh, we would do well to remember the wisdom of Proverbs 18, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him, right? That's why it's so important that we hear all sides before we make a decision. So now let's think about Barnabas's perspective, Barnabas's perspective. And I think Barnabas's case can be summed up pretty, pretty straightforward, that the person takes priority, okay? So for Paul, the mission, right? The mission takes priority. For Barnabas, it's the person who takes priority, uh, Barnabas is emphasizing the need to give Mark another chance. You'll remember Barnabas's name means son of encouragement, okay? And every time we see him, we kind of see him in this encouraging sort of way. 
and and I, we see that here again. And like Paul, Barnabas also has a few points on his side. Uh, remember that it was Barnabas. He's the one who vouched for Paul when everyone else in the church was afraid of him, right? When no one else wanted anything to do with back when he was Saul and they thought he was gonna kill them all, Barnabas was the one who vouched for him. Remember, Barnabas is the one who went and got Saul from Tarsus and brought him to Antioch in the first place and said, hey, brother, we need you here. Barnabas is the one who did that. No doubt that Barnabas, uh, I don't know if he said it this nicely to Paul, but he was probably calling on him to say, hey, don't you remember the gospels about grace and forgiveness? Like, don't you remember that, you know, you preach this all the time. Like, where, where's the grace? Where's the compassion? Where's the forgiveness for Mark? And then I have no doubt that just as Paul might have recalled Jesus's words when he said, you know, whoever looks back is not worthy of me. I have no doubt that Barnabas also brought up, oh yeah, what about Jesus and Peter? You know, Peter denied Jesus three times. That's probably worse, probably worse than what Mark did. And Jesus, he gave him another chance. You know, Peter's still with us. Peter wouldn't be with us if Jesus hadn't given him that chance. And so the reality is, Barnabas has a pretty compelling case as well, right? To say, hey, we, we, gotta, we gotta give Mark a second chance. If we don't give Mark a second chance, it are, like, none of us are gonna get second chances. Like, we, we have to be willing to do this. Uh, in addition to probably the way they both felt about this, there, there are some complicating factors, uh, I think particularly for Paul. One is that Mark is Barnabas' cousin, right? Family always complicates things. You guys know that. And so is it possible that Paul is thinking that Barnabas is playing favorites here? Maybe Paul's thinking, well, sure, you're going to bat for, for Mark because he's your cousin, but would you do that for, you know, some other random guy? I don't know. And then what about Galatians 2, 11 to 14? That if, if, if you're not familiar with that passage, right, just from me referencing it, that's, that's when Paul confronts Peter because of his actions being out of step with the gospel. When, when Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles and then the Jews show up and he kind of retreats back. Well, if you remember, Paul not only says Peter did it, but even Barnabas was brought into that. Uh, and scholars and historians note uh, that almost, almost certainly that event has already taken place, that that event took place before the Jerusalem council. And so is it possible that, that for as much as, as Paul likes Barnabas and trusts him, he's already seen Barnabas wobble once. Is he wondering, hey, is, is, is Barnabas gonna wobble again? Is he gonna go back if the Jews put pressure on and do that again? And so just, just as it was in this case, so it is in our own lives, right? That as we think about conflict, there's always these, these complicating factors that go beyond the conflict itself, right, into all of this other stuff. So then, if that's what the conflict was in this case, what, think about our own lives. What leads us into conflict with one another? Um, we, could, we could talk for a long time about what leads us into conflict, but I just wanna talk about a couple of things. First of all, I, I don't think this one's the case here, but it has to be said, our own sinful actions lead us into conflict. In fact, I would say that's the most common case of, of being in conflict is, is that we, we just sin, right? We just sin. We do the wrong thing, or someone sins against us and we respond poorly to it. Uh, and, and sin is at, uh, is at the root. Um, and it almost goes without saying, but I'll, I'll just say it, that when we do that, we, we need to recognize our sin, we need to repent of it, and we need to, we need to seek restoration 
Um, the Bible is really clear about that. Uh, I, I mentioned this one before, but I just want to want to uh, sketch it out for us just a minute. That that sometimes it's our own sin that leads to the conflict. Other times, maybe we're wronged, maybe we're truly offended, but we we respond really poorly. Maybe we respond in anger. Okay, that's that's my default response to being wronged. Right, I get I get angry about it, or if I see someone else getting wronged, I get I get angry about it. Um, I'll, that is always wrapped up in pride, right? It's always wrapped up in pride in the sense of of injustice that somehow wrong has been done to me. Uh, some of us, rather than anger, we we respond with hurt. Okay, and and, and we get we get wounded, uh, and and we can we can start giving people the silent treatment, right? We can start avoiding. And just say, I'm not, I'm not going to engage with you. You've hurt me. You've wounded me. I can't move forward with that. And so someone else's sin then kind of, kind of leads to our sin. And so uh, we have to see that. Uh, but that's not, again, I don't think that's the conflict that's in view here necessarily. Uh, and so then I want us to, to focus in on a couple of, of, of areas of conflict that are unique to Christians in some ways, uh, which is what we see here. One uh, is that we can just have differences of, of doctrinal beliefs. Differences of doctrinal beliefs. Uh, this one, I think, is more specifically tied to, to Christian mission, which is, which is directly the topic that we're looking at here as Paul and Barnabas are, are, are thinking through their next mission trip, literally, uh, and, and just disagreeing on, on who needs to be a part of that trip, okay? Uh, and this reminds us of the differences that we have in, in doctrine. And I think sometimes, both from outside the church and even from inside the church, like we, we can just kind of ask that age-old question of like, why can't we all just get along? Why, like why, why do Christians argue so much? Like why, do we, why is there so much disunity? Why, why can't we just figure it out? Uh, and and even, even I ask that question sometimes. Like sometimes it's like, do we really need to argue and bicker about this issue? Like do we really need to? Um, but... This passage, I think, reminds us that in a fallen world, there are just going to be differences. Like, we're not all going to see things the same way. Uh, and there are differences of doctrine. It's important to recognize that. Uh, we believe differently on all kinds of issues, and, and we place varying degrees of importance on those issues. And so even if we agree on something, one of us might think it's really important. Others just be like, yeah, we'll take it or leave it, whatever. Uh, and, and, and so then, that's an issue. Now, I, I do think that one of the real black eyes of this passage is that it does not seem as though Paul and Barnabas were able to reconcile at this point. Okay? It, it seems pretty clear to me from the way Luke writes it that they leave and it's not, it's not amicable in any way, right? That they're, they're hurt, they're upset, and like that's it. Uh, and so we, we should see this passage as, as a warning to us, not, not necessarily one to emulate and to say that this ought to be the goal. Um, uh, and so I, I do think Luke is holding up this episode as an example, but not one to follow, but instead a, a warning to heed. Um, what I do think Luke wants us to see uh, is that, particularly as, as we think about as churches, when we have disagreements with other churches and other ministries, is, is, is that we ought to seek unity in the gospel and in the mission of the gospel wherever possible. Uh, this means that we can have varying degrees and levels of cooperation with other churches and, and networks and denominations uh, based on how closely aligned we are with respect to our own beliefs, convictions, and practices. Um, my view is that we should seek out cooperation rather than focusing 
on all of our differences and finding new ways to be angry and upset with those who differ than us. Um, right? Like we, I, I always say like, we know there are going to be differences. We should just accept that. There are going to be differences. So we can either focus on what we have in common or we can focus on what divides us. And if we focus on what divides us, we know, we know where that's going to lead. Like we know where that's going to lead. It's just going to lead to anger and frustration uh, and, a, and a feeling of superiority because we're right and they're wrong. Um, and I, I, you know, I think our posture here at Sojourn is we, man, what's the point? Like we want to we wanna focus on what we have in common, be united in the gospel where we can. So we can have doctrinal differences, but then we can also have what I think we actually have here, which is differences of application or, or even, you might even say, opinion, okay? And what I mean by that is this, uh, is that Paul is a, he's thinking biblically about this. In, in other words, he's like, the mission, the mission, the mission takes priority, okay? And I think that is a totally defensible and justifiable position. And Barnabas is saying, no, the person, the person takes priority. And that, I think, is, is clearly a totally defensible and justifiable position. Uh, the result is that this leads to what, again, the ESV translates as a sharp disagreement, verse 39. Uh, the word there literally means anger, irritation, or exasperation. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever felt that with another person, okay? If you've been married, you've definitely felt that with another person, uh, Right? anger, you're irritated, you're frustrated, you're exasperated, you're at the end, and you're like, I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to deal with you, right? That's where they were. That's where they were. And, and all this over kind of this, this again, not that they were just, I, I don't think Barnabas would have said to Paul, Paul, would you just stop worrying about the mission so much? It's just not that important. And I don't think Paul would have said to Barnabas, Barnabas, could you just stop worrying about Mark and forgiveness and second. Could you just stop doing that? Like, God doesn't care about that. Like, no, 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 no. They understood. Of course, we have to value the person. Of course, we have to value the mission. But in this case, they're in conflict with one another. One of them is going to get the priority, and there's a disagreement about the priority. There's a disagreement about which one is more important. And so I, I think what we have is that, that both men are right in a sense. Right? They're both right. They both have a compelling point. I think some of this comes down to, to our own personalities and makeups. Right? Some of us are just more naturally going to see things the way Paul does, and some of us are just more naturally going to see things the way Barnabas does. Uh, that's why we are made up of one body with many parts, because we need all the perspectives. Right? We need all of the perspectives. We need Barnabas's perspective and Paul's perspective. And I think in leaving this the way he does, like Luke doesn't give a verdict, okay? Luke doesn't really give a verdict to say Paul was right or Barnabas was right. He just leaves it hanging. And I think part of the reason he does that is because in a sense, they're both right, right? They're both right. And, and, and I think the bigger issue is not so much that they separate, but it's how they separate, that, that it ends up separating poorly. Uh, and so I think the last thing that I wanna say about it is just that we need humility, Right, we need humility when it comes to our differences. Um, in order to move forward, someone has to be willing to not get their own way. Okay, particularly on these these if differences of doctrine and belief, uh, someone has to be willing to not get their own way. Uh, and we also, I think, need a big view of God's sovereignty in these things, knowing that God can work even if even if we don't do it my way, even if we don't do it the right way. Right, so. Uh, that's some of 
what leads to conflict. Uh, the next thing I want us to see is how to respond to conflict. Uh, these, I think, are just some general biblical wisdom on how to respond to conflict, both when you're involved, you're directly in it, and indirectly when you're just kind of, you're observing it or you're being brought into it, okay? Uh, some wisdom. Uh, one, <clears throat> hear from all parties and try to understand everyone's perspective, okay? Uh, mentioned this one, the wisdom of Proverbs eighteen seventeen already. Uh, both Paul and Barnabas are making really good points, and it's okay to admit that. Like, it's okay to say, hey, you know what? Both of them have some really important things to say. Um, it's crucial. It's essential for us to hear from all sides before we begin to make any judgments. And I'll add, uh, and I think this is often the case in a fallen world, most of the time, we're not privy to all the information. We only hear one side of it or one perspective. Uh, and so that if we're not able to hear from everyone, we should hold our conclusions loosely, knowing that there are facts and perspectives that we're missing. And we can remember the wisdom of James 1, 19 and 20. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You read through the Proverbs, there's all kinds of counsel about, hey, you should listen a lot, you should speak a little, <laughs> okay? And, and part of that is just that you're like, we're not God. We don't know everything. We don't have all the insights that he has. So we should hear from everyone. Uh, another, another principle to think is don't assume you have to pick a side. Don't assume that you have to land somewhere, that in making a judgment you have to say, well, this, this side's totally right, this side's totally wrong. Uh, as we've seen already, right, both of them are making a compelling case. Uh, there, there are important points and merits to consider on, on both sides. And, and here's where I think this really rubs up against our own moment, is that our culture has this idea that in order to really love me and accept me and support me, you must affirm and defend essentially everything that I think, feel, or say. Um, that is a really dangerous place to be. Because the result is that when others don't do that for us, they don't affirm us, uh, they don't support us, they push back on us, and then we feel hurt, we feel rejected, and we feel unloved. Um, that, that's tough, right? Now look, no one likes to be told they're wrong, okay? No, none of us like for someone to come and say, you know, I've heard all sides, and I just have to tell you, you're wrong. You're wrong on this one. Like, no one, nobody likes that no one's excited about that. No one feels loved in that moment. Like, oh, thank you, sister, for sharing that perspective with me. Let me go repent right now. I'll get in my prayer closet. Like, that's not how we feel, right? We instantly move into defense and self-justification, okay? We understand that. But, but what the enemy, I think, wants to do is, is bring in when someone's trying to speak the truth and love to us and say, they don't really love you. They don't really care about you. They're not affirming you, right? Just, just go find people who will say what you want to say or say what you want to hear, right? Um, that is such a danger. That's a temptation that we all face is just to, to surround ourselves and insulate ourselves with people who will just parrot back to us all the things that we already think, all the things that we already believe are true. And anyone who ever breaks through that, it's like, well, they're, they're wrong. Look, I have these five people. They all affirm me all the time. Um, that is a really dangerous place to be because we, we will insulate ourselves from the truth when we do that. 
uh, and there will be no self-awareness, there'll be no change, and it's, it's really hard to repent when you think you're right all the time. Like, it's, it's really hard to do that. Um, as Christians, we must understand that we cannot ask those around us to always side with us. When they push back on us, we can't always see that as a personal attack. We have to give space to the idea that we're not gonna be right about everything, and that it is the grace of God that he gives us people who love us enough to speak hard things to us, even, even when they know it will bring conflict. So remember, we don't have to pick a side. Uh, a third thing to think about is, is just to extend grace and charity, especially when you disagree. Um, rather than extending anger and ferocity um, or woundedness, right? Extend grace and charity. Uh, this seems to be the place where Paul and Barnabas did not act in consistent step with the gospel. Uh, they don't respond to one another with grace and charity. They, re- they respond, I think, pretty clearly in anger, uh, and they're not able to come to a resolution. Um, we must do our best to extend grace to those we're in conflict with, especially, especially when we disagree with, on how to move forward. Um, that's really hard. That's really hard. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to pretend that it's not. Uh, we need help from the Lord. We need prayer. We need the power of his spirit at work in us. We, God has to change our hearts. This doesn't naturally come to us. Uh, and yet, right, knowing that this is our goal, I mean, this is, this is such a huge part of growing in our faith and maturing as believers. And then the last thing I want us to see is just don't let your differences be the final word. Don't let your differences be the final word. Eventually, it does seem as though Paul, Barnabas, and Mark were all able to reconcile. They were all able to work through this. Again, Paul and Barnabas never, never go out together again, uh, but they are able to work through this. Paul writes in, in different spots in, in his New Testament writings where he, he talks about Barnabas and, and what an encouragement Barnabas is to him. And he even talks about Mark, and he says, bring Mark, he's useful to me. Okay, that, let me tell you, that's not how Paul felt in this moment, right? Paul did not view Mark as useful, okay? But because Barnabas gave him another chance, Mark became a useful person. Uh, but he needed, right? He needed Barnabas to do that. So some of the ways to think through, just again, just some, some general wisdom on how to, how to work through conflict. Last thing I want us to see is why God uses conflict. We know we have it. We know it's a part of our lives. It's, 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 part of, it's part of the fall. It's part of curse. It's part of just being different. And yet, God is able to use it. God is able to use it. And, and, but I, I think it's important to raise the question, like, well, why does he do it? Because being in conflict is hard. It, it's, it's hurtful. It's painful. It's not fun. It is never fun to be in conflict with other people. Uh, and yet, God clearly uses it. He used it here. Uh, why does he use it? Why does he do it this way? I think there's a few reasons to think about. One, it's just to get our attention. When things are good, we just have a tendency to coast. We just have a tendency to get comfortable and just say, man, isn't life great? This is awesome. It's how I feel every vacation, right? Whew, well, you know, I mean, listen, we have four little kids, so vacations are, you know, coasting is relative there, right? But when you get in that sweet spot, it's like, man, like, this is great. And if life was like that all the time, I mean, we can just be honest. We wouldn't be super productive people. We, we, we wouldn't be super motivated. We would be happy to just be like, you know what? I'm just going to get back in the lazy river and float around a few more days. Like, this is incredible. I love the lazy river. I don't know why that is. I just do. It's a great place. 
Um, like, I, you know, you just go to a happy place and move on. And, and I think, God, you, like, when you, when you get that email or you get that text message or you get that phone call, like whatever it is, or, or probably the worst, you see the post on social media and it is brought to your attention that someone else is in conflict with you, right? Because of something you said or didn't say, did or didn't do, thought or didn't thought, or shared with a friend that you swore to secrecy and now, whoo, here it is in the open, right? Whatever the reason is, when you see that, right, you just feel it inside and you go, oh, right? And all the emotions, anger, hurt, frustration, you know, all, it all is just welling up and this stew is starting to boil and simmer. Uh, and you're feeling all those things. And I think God, he just gets our attention. And he's like, hey, hey, wake up, wake up, right? I, I'm, I, need to, I need to draw you out of your slumber a little bit. So God uses it to do that. Another reason that God clearly does this is to show his power in our weakness. Um, I, me personally, like, one of the, I, I, I don't think I ever feel weaker than when I'm in conflict with someone because I just know, like, I can't make this better on my own, okay? I mean, I guess if I capitulate and just do whatever they want to do, well, that's one thing, okay? But if I, if I actually feel different and I'm like, well, I'm in conflict because of this thing I said, but, you know, maybe I didn't say it exactly right. Maybe my tone wasn't loving. Maybe, you know, but I stand by what I said, okay? Like, if that's how you feel, and you're not moving off that position, okay, right? Then, then you're risking like major damage to the relationship. And you're like, the only way I'm gonna be able to move forward here is like if God does something, if he moves in both our hearts so that we can both move forward, even though we're not changing our minds about anything. Um, that's a weak place. And God is able to show his power in our weakness. Man, we think about this story. It's so encouraging to be reminded that God's plans are not foiled by human conflicts. They're not foiled by our own weakness in this. You know, it's interesting that you think about what happens here. The number of missionaries doubles, okay? We go from two to four because when they go out, Paul's going to take Silas with him and Barnabas is going to take Mark with him. And so we go from two to four. Um, Not only that, new churches get started as a result of this. Barnabas goes back to the original churches and Paul kind of starts there, but then he ends up going new places. And so it's entirely possible that if Paul and Barnabas had gone out in their own plan, they, they just would have gone back to the original places. They, they didn't mention going anywhere else. But now that they're on two different places, you know, I mean, you can just hear the conversation. Paul's like, well, it doesn't make any sense to go where Barnabas it is. And I don't want to see that guy anyway. So we're going to go somewhere new. We're going to go somewhere new. And that's, that's what happens. And then I think it's fair to say that everyone learns and grows from this experience. You know, again, you go back to Paul saying, hey, bring Mark, he's useful. And you think about, well, how did Mark become a useful person? Well, I think probably the response of both Barnabas and Paul had a huge impact on him. In other words, I think it is, it is absolutely the case that Mark, he, he needed someone to give him another chance. He needed someone to offer grace and forgiveness and say, hey, man, I still believe in you. I still see something in you. Like, come on, we, we need you. He needed that. But it was probably also really helpful for him to hear Paul go, no, you can't come. I don't want you. I, I can only have people I can depend on. You think Mark ever forgot that? I better say within the rest of his life where he said, you know what? If I go, I can't do that again. I cannot leave again. I can't bail again. I have to be someone I can depend on. He needed both perspectives God shows his power in our weakness. No doubt, God do, does this to grow our dependence on him. 
It forces us to depend on him in, in fresh ways. Um, and this is not to say that we should desire conflict, like, all right, Lord, I'm ready to grow. Just send me the pain. I'm ready for it. I don't think that's it. Um, but to recognize that God, God always has purposes for the conflict that comes into our lives. And then the last thing I think, God uses conflict to, to make us long for a better day, to make us not put so much of our hope in this life where relationships do get broken and feelings do get hurt, but to, to look forward to a day when that won't happen anymore, where there, there won't be any more difference of opinion. Man, what a day. Amen. That'll be great. And we'll all be right because we'll all just subscribe to whatever God thinks. Man, what a day. Um, all our disagreements will fade away. That is a glorious day to look forward to. So as we wrap up this morning, I just want us to think for a couple of minutes about how do we do this? Like, how do we actually get to the place where we can, we can move forward in, in a God-honoring way in the midst of really intense conflict? Um, and I think it's important to note at this point that there are some underlying assumptions behind everything that I've said this morning. Um, for instance, just the idea that you can forgive someone who hurts you, okay? Like, I said that, and it was just, like, automatic. Like, yeah, you should forgive. But, but the reality is, like, if you've ever been hurt somebody, like, forgiveness doesn't come automatically. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just forgive you. No problem. No big deal. It's, that was fine. I, I mean, yeah, I cried in my room for, like, three weeks, but it was fine. It was no big deal. I'm just ready to move on. It's fine. It's fine. Um, that's not true. Like, we know. When we're hurt, when we're wounded, forgiveness does not come easily. Uh, or how about this one, that it just comes naturally to, us to not have the final word, to say, you know what, I thought I was right, I'm still right, but you know what, we'll just, that's fine, we'll just do it your way, that's fine, you know, what, I usually say it about that way, no, it's fine, we'll just do it your way, right, I want to, I want to do it your way, can't, can't wait, it's all I've ever wanted, right, and just this heavy sarcasm is just like lining every single thing that I say, um, that, that we can just move on that we can just move on and say, oh, yeah, let's, let's just act like it didn't happen. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, how do we do that? Like, how, how do we really forgive people? How do we really just move on and act like it didn't happen? And, and the truth is, that there's only one way that I know of. <laughs> there's only one way that I know of, uh, and it's to look to Jesus, the one who, hanging on the cross, forgives his enemies. He says, Father, don't hold it against him. They, they had no idea what they're doing. We look to Jesus as the one who has the final word so that we don't have to have the final word, right? That we can rest in him and say, hey, I know that when Jesus said on the cross, it's finished, he meant it, it's finished, that the end is settled, it's done. I know how this story is gonna end. And regardless of how this chapter <laughs> ends up, like we don't have any control over that, but I know the end of the story and so whatever happens, like, I can rest in that. I can rest in that. And I, I don't have to hold a grudge. I don't have to be angry. And I don't have to have it my way. I, I can let go of those things. I can let go of this. I mean, the gospel frees us from that. It frees us from always having to be right. It frees us from always having to have the last word. It frees us from not being able to forgive and not being able to move on. Okay? You know, when, when God talks about us being slaves to sin, I think that's what it is. That's what it's talking about. It's saying it, when you always have to have the last word, you're enslaved. You're enslaved to that. 
When you can't let go, when you can't forgive, you're enslaved to that. You're enslaved to those feelings and bitterness and resentment and anger. I mean, they just build up forever. And Jesus says, man, I've, I've come to give you life and abundant life. And I think part of abundant life is you're not enslaved to that stuff anymore. You can forgive people. You don't have to have the last word. You don't always have to have your way. You can humble yourself and say, hey, you know what? I don't see it your way, but you know what? We can do it your way and not be sarcastic about it. It's okay. We'll, we'll do it. We'll do it your way. And trust that God's big enough to work through that. And he is big enough. He doesn't just work through our right opinions. He works through our wrong opinions. Amen. He's good to us. So we look to Jesus, we look to the cross, and we say, man, it's, it's there that I'm freed from the slavery of always having to have it my way. I mean, I can, I can move forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and, and how you speak to us through it. We, we thank you um, that in the word that you've given us, um, you don't hide the rough edges. You put them right there for us to see. And God, we know that, um, that this conflict between Paul and Barnabas, it was not the finest day the early church ever saw. Uh, and yet, it's, it's so crucial to us to see the fact um, that you are able to move in the midst of our conflict. You're able to move in the midst uh, of our hurts and our wounds and our, our pride um, and, and that we don't, we don't get in the way of your plans. You're able, to, you're able to move in spite of us. So God, I, I pray for all of us this morning that as we think about conflict and we think about relationships, I gotta pray um, that we would be people who uh, are able to trust in you and are able to trust in your word and to, and to be humble uh, and to free ourselves, to, to let go of always having to have the last word, of always having to be right. And instead, we look to Jesus and say, because of you, because you have it all, I can, I can rest. God, help us to do that.